0: I'm Deidre. I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you... A Million Murders! Hello! Hello! How are you? Doing
1: good, how are you?
0: Good. We are back to give you another episode
1: of A Million Murders.
0: Yes, it's almost It's almost the Halloween season. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. Yes, super excited. I'm going to do Haunted Denver since the Kathleen Peterson episode wasn't as long as I thought it'd be. So, you get to we hear two parts. Yeah, they got a two-parter. So it so. was pretty long. Yeah. Yeah, we took a good part of it. So here we go. Haunted Denver, Colorado. It's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the first place is the Molly Brown House Museum. The Molly Brown House Museum is perhaps one of the most fascinating and unique homes in the United States. Created by the silver boom of Colorado in the 1880s, only to become a leasing home by a survivor of one of the most devastating maritime disasters in modern history, this enchanting manor has seen countless people come and go. So it was commissioned in the 1880s by Isaac and Mary Large, due to their successful silver mining. Um, the home accentuated prosperity almost everywhere. So these people hit big with silver, not mm-hmm. gold. Silver, <laughs> silver. Okay, so. Okay, so a different time. But you know they built this house, and it was fabulous. Unlike some homes built in the 1880s. Oh, thanks,
1: fabulous. This is my simple request.
0: Wait, I don't know if I know that.
1: Sharpay, High School Musical. Oh, see, there. I've only seen three because oh. I'm
0: weird. Okay, just if you had been like, I want it all. I'd been like, I want it, want it, the fame, the fortune. Anyway, sorry, I know that sounded terrible, and we don't own the rights. Because Disney will come for you like nobody else. Okay. Um, So unlike some homes built in the 1880s, the house had modern comforts like indoor plumbing, heat, electricity, and even a telephone. So Hmm. this is like 20 years after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. Indoor plumbing, heat, electricity, telephone. Okay. Like Alexander Graham Bell and them were friends probably. I don't know. Just kidding. Anyway, their success was short-lived when the Silver Crash happened in 1893. So they had like 13 good years of prosperity and then it Mm -hmm. crashed. So they were forced to sell their home to JJ and Molly Brown in 1894. They would even make several expansions and renovations to the home. Even if they weren't in it much, they spent a large portion of their time traveling. So while they were away, they had their home up for rent for passing by wealthy, wealthy families. So they basically had an Airbnb for the rich in the 1800s. So when the Browns began their world tour, So they're so rich, they've got a world tour that they're doing in the 1900s. In 1902, the home became the governor's mansion for James Orman and his family. So this house was built by silver people, and then the Browns, you know, have it. And then they're like, oh, well, we're traveling the world, so governor, here you go. It can be your governor's mansion. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. So, okay. Now... When Molly died in 1932, the home was sold and went through several hands. The home expanded further with more rooms, and in 1958, became a boarding house for men. Later, it became a Jane Addams Hole home for girls. In 1970, there was talk by the city to demolish the aging and decrepit building, but citizens rallied together to purchase and not preserve just the house, but also Molly Brown. They began restoration processes and turned it into the stunning museum that you see today, which it is very pretty, like it's a beautiful house. So many visitors have smelt the wafting aroma of a tobacco pipe throughout the home, despite a non-smoking policy on the property. Many have attested to this being the spirit of JJ Brown, Molly's husband, roaming the house. Employees of the museum note that many of the light bulbs in the house are inexplicably undone, some refuse to turn on propert- properly at all. So it's just like, oh, okay. So every so often they have to check the light bulbs and make sure they're screwed in. Because some they just start unscrewing themselves. <laughs> Other times they'll notice that the furniture has been mysteriously rearranged. Sometimes they'll even see an apparition of a woman in Victorian clothing doing the rearranging. no. Mm -mm. Though no one can tell if the spirit is Molly Brown herself or someone else. So you just walking around and then some lady in Victorian era and she's see-through just moving furniture. Mm -mm. She's like, this is not where I put this. Move it one more time. (laughs) So that isn't to say Molly isn't around. Tourists have felt cold spots in her room and have even caught glimpses of her turning a corner. She's not alone either. Her daughter, Catherine Ellen, is believed to haunt her own room, raising and lowering the blinds so just no no to that and seeing a ghost turn the corner is too much for me too okay so there are stories of a servant's reflection mirror near the first floor stairs they describe him as having a somewhat dour look on his face perhaps he was not a fan of the home always having new tenants so he's like just some more people to have to deal with so molly because you know, the house is Molly Brown House Museum. Molly is mostly known for surviving the sinking of the Titanic. So she was born in Missouri in 1867. And seeing first hand accounts of lower class labor around her family shaped her forever. So in the movie, when they show her so in the movie, Molly Brown is played by Kathy Bates. So the one who helps do you know I'm talking about Okay, you know, t- I haven't seen
1: the Titanic in a long time. Okay,
0: but you remember Jack is going to, like, the upper class dinner, and there's that lady who helps him, and she's like, the fort goes over here, you do this, you work your way mm-hmm. in, da-da-da-da-da. That's Molly Brown. Mm. So, they put her in the movie because she was, like, a big part of the Titanic, and when it sank... You know, she was somebody very notable that people remembered. So they put her in the movie and that's who helps Jack, which is obviously a fictional character. But Molly Brown was real. Mm-hmm. So that lady they put in there, she's a real person. She was on there and she lived. Hmm. So um, but yeah, so she, you know, was born to an upper class family, saw this lower class labor and it changed her forever having to see that. So, in the movie, when they show her helping Jack, who is a lower class citizen, fit in, that was probably an accurate account of her attitude. Like, it's mm-hmm. probably something she would have done. Mm-hmm. So, she married J.J. Brown in 1886, and he was a fairly successful mining engineer. But when the silver market crashed in 1893, he was able to find a gold mine that he had shares in. And overnight, the Browns became millionaires. And Molly worked tirelessly to help people affected by the crash. So I guess silver was before gold. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, or he just found more gold and it was still good. I don't know. But anyway, so she uh, continued her traveling and charity work until a phone call in Paris in 1912 had her desperate to rush home to her ill grandson. She hastily booked a ticket on the maiden voyage of the RMS Titanic. Mm. So she was... Going around, doing charity work. Her grandson is sick. So she gets on the Titanic to get back to America. <laughs> <laughs> we had to pause it. And so I just had to come in and be like, America, America. America. Um, So, you know, that's not going to go well, as we know. Like, she's like trying to get back. She's like, okay, the Titanic is going to New York. Boom. From there, you know, we'll do whatever we got to yeah. do, but we'll get back to America. Er, like, I mean, she made it back, thankfully. Yeah, but- like she luckily, you know. But you know, so as the ship began its rapidly increasing descent into the cold sea, after colliding with the iceberg, Molly spent the precious little time she had helping passengers onto lifeboats, onto lifeboats, <laughs> until she was more or less forced to enter one herself. So she huh. wasn't even like, oh, I'm rich and I've got to live. Yeah. I'm like, she's like, okay, y'all, let's get it together. And they're like, get in the lifeboat. Like, you have to. Yeah. So there's a longstanding story that Molly attempted several times to have the lifeboat turned back to rescue more people, mm. though the fear of the lifeboat capsizing deterred them from turning back. Because, you know, remember she was like, that's your man out there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so... She was like, turned back. And, you know, she got yelled at by that man, yeah. which I think that part was true.
1: It probably was. Where that was. guy was like,
0: oh, shot at you know, like, yeah. and it was like, oh, sir, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that he did. I think that that was based on a real person, too. So it was a whole thing. So, it's not entirely certain whether they did indeed go back, but what does hold is that Molly rallied to provide aid to the second and third class survivors, passing out supplies and blankets. She was even able to raise money for those who had lost everything. So, I mean, how nice. yeah? You know, so, I know a lot of that was mainly about the history of Molly, but I mean, the unscrewing light bulbs and seeing her in the house and stuff, you know. So, that was the Molly Brown House Museum. Then, we've got Denver's Children Home. So Denver's Children's Home has seen its fair share of young residents over its 120-year past. And in that time, there has been no shortage of tales, rumors, and folklore designed to keep a fellow classmate up at night with a watchful eye on the shadows. But even as times have changed and the stories have evolved, some of the strange reports have held fast embedded into the roots of the organization and reinforced by sightings that have come in like clockwork with each new generation of children. So like kids, you know, somebody probably 50 years old, like, yeah, I was there and I remember seeing ghosts and kids wow. now are seeing ghosts. Mm-mm. So yeah, these paranormal encounters um, are remnants of a time when the Denver's children's hospital was still young and finding its way in an, inarguable, an arguable part of the facility's history. The Denver's Children's Home, originally the Denver Orphans' Home, was first formed in 1876 by the Ladies Relief Society, a group of affluent Denver women dedicated to the care of the orphans who were being brought westward to Colorado to help build the railroads and work in the mines. So this is these are orphans who were being brought out west to build railroads and work in the mines. These are children. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I just thought I needed to say that again. I'm like, uh, okay. Initially, the children were placed in the private homes of volunteers within the organization, but it wasn't long before it became clear that the number of orphans in desperate need of care had grown past these simple means, and a facility was needed to properly accommodate them. So that's kind of sad. I mean, it is sad. It's not kind of. So in 1881... Margaret Evans, wife of territorial governor John Evans, sought to open the first permanent location for the Denver Orphans Home, which was completed in 1883 with financial support of a handful of wealthy and influential Denver socialites, including businessman Fred Salomon and philanthropist George Washington Clayton. So, I mean, these socialites were like, we got to help the children. So that's nice. You know, they weren't just like, whatever. So within days of opening their doors, 40 children in need were moved into the home, proving indefinitely the abundant need for the services they were provided. By 1889, more than a thousand children would move through the facility on their way to a permanent home. Initially, the facility was open only for white children under the age of 12 with no living parents, but they would eventually broaden their reach as the need and the times changed. Still, the early teachings at the facility were narrow, focusing on Protestant middle-class upbringings that were designed specifically to help assimilate children, many of whom were immigrants. That's a little controversial because they're like, oh, well, whatever religion, whatever culture you're from, this is what you got to learn now. So it's like, okay. But in 1902, the Denver's orphans home moved its current location on Albion street, a massive second Renaissance revival structure that was designed by the Denver architects, Willis A. Marine and Albert J. Norton, and cost an impressive $35,000 to build. So we know over 100 100 years ago, that was big money. Mm -hmm. So they moved, got this fancy place. It was a really big place. The facility continued to grow both in size and scope, and in 1962, the Denver's Orphans' Home was renamed the Denver's Children's Home, and their focus moved to help children who suffered severe abuse, neglect, or have serious mental health issues. The facility has seen many changes over the years, and the Denver Orphans' Home of old would hardly be recognizable alongside the, Den- the Denver's Children's Home of today. But as much as the employees and residents would like to make a fresh start, it appears that some things from the past have continued to hang around. Of the many sightings recorded within these halls, the lingering spirit, known as the bride, is one of the most consistent, with reports not only going back as far as the earliest, (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Jesus, help me. Early 20th century... But still coming in today on a regular basis. So this woman's been seen since the 1900s and people still see her. Okay. She a vintage ghost. She comes in the form of a full body apparition. Mm. A beautiful woman dressed in white who who in the late hours of the night will appear suddenly at the top of the third floor steps. Long after most have gone to bed and there are few left to witness her. So she waits until the middle of the night. And in she's like, hey, of don't
1: night. get
0: me. I've been walking in my sleep. You know, that's my jam. Okay. Sometimes she stays looking over the stairway. And sometimes she floats gently down to the second floor where she will continue down the length of the 50 foot hallway before disappearing through the wall. Mm-mm. Nobody knows her story who she was or why she stays and her appearance has been known to shock those who have seen her slipping through the halls but many have still come to think of her as a guardian watching diligently over the home and the children within so that's kind of cute
1: the children within yeah
0: but nobody knows who she is like who are you though some have even claimed that she is one of the original members of the Ladies Relief Society, hmm. the group who originally founded the Denver Orphans' Home, hanging on to make sure that the children still have a bright future ahead of them. Others, though, believe that her appearance on the third floor is no coincidence, and it is proof that she is part of another haunting in the building, one that started long ago when the home was still in its early days, and a horrific fire had ripped through the building and some of its occupants. Hmm. Okay, so the fire, which broke out in late 1888, not long after the Denver Orphans Home came into being, is reported to have started near the stairs on the third floor, creating a wall of fire that, so sad, that trapped many students in their rooms, unable to reach help. Yeah. That is sad. Yeah. So while only a few children and staff were said to be staying on the floor at that time, none of them would escape alive. A horrifying event that early on would leave a permanent mark on the establishment, even despite their noble efforts. Unfortunately, there is little evidence to support this tale, and with the organization moving buildings in 1902 to their current location, it's difficult to connect many of the paranormal experiences with this supposed event. So the fire that happened didn't happen where... The place is now it was where it was before oh yeah so people think that she just kind of like went with it huh but you know so we're not sure but regardless of the veracity of the story the reports of unusual activity within the children's home have stayed consistent over the decades and many children over many generations have reported evidence to support the claim most commonly these reports come in the form of a lingering smoky smell That starts on the third floor and comes and goes without warning, as well as the sounds of children crying out in the hallways or running hurriedly down the stairs. Hmm. Uh -uh. It is even claimed that numerous exorcisms have been performed at the facility over its long history in an attempt to quell these spirits, but to no avail. Yeah, so it's like, was the story of the fire true? You know, it's kind of lost in history, like other tragedies back then. Mm -hmm. So... We never know, and it's difficult to say, but no matter how you look at it, the reports remain the same, and for every new generation of children who step through the doors, there's clearly something waiting on the other side. Okay, so my last one is the Brown Palace Hotel. The silver boom of the 1880s brought people from all walks of life out west to seek their fortunes in Colorado. Folks came and went through the town of Denver to get to get to the Rockies, exploring the then little town into a booming hub and people needed places to stay. The Oxford Hotel was already in place in 1891, but it would only be a year later when the larger and grander Brown Palace Hotel opened its doors. I feel like this was on Morbid this week in that Haunted Hotels, but maybe it wasn't because they were talking about a hotel that got built over a nut like there was a hotel already there and then somebody just like rebuilt a newer hotel Hmm. like they were like "Eh, no we're just gonna tear this down we're gonna build a new one so now i'm starting to think it was this one but anyway so it was the first one of the first atrium style hotels ever built having a large open aired room located at the central point of the building it's like there was literally just like an open air like you could see the sky it was all you know so i'm like oh i'm living for that um but it was one of the first ones. And the rooms were originally three to five dollars a night. And the roof of the hotel hosts five distinctive bee colonies to pollinate the city and to create honey based products for the hotel. So they got bees. Bees. They got bees there.
1: I was like, that's cool. Mm. You know, I I that's fresh some, honey. I want fresh honey. Yes, and it helps with your allergies if too. If there's anyone out there that has fresh honey, give me some. Give me the honey. Give me the honey, honey. Yes.
0: So, that's cool. Honey-based products for the hotel. So, I'm like, this place is cool. There have been numerous odd and unexplainable incidents through the hotel. Guests and staff have mentioned lights turning off and on on their own. Some have noted what appears to be something crawling from underneath the Uh -uh. carpets. No. Though none of the... Like, why? No. Why, why, why? Crawling from underneath the carpets. No. Though none have been able to identify what exactly is lurking below. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Numerous apparitions have been seen gliding from hallway to hallway in the palace. The Brown Palace Club has more well-known ghosts that like to hang about the entrance. He's described as a man in a dark suit and cap, like the attire of an old train conductor. If you approach him, he'll float down to the ground floor and into a corner where he'll, where he'll disappear. Mm-mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. when the hotel first opened it was surrounded by shops and businesses including the rock island railroad ticket office it so happened that it was located right at the corner where the apparition goes through i'm like okay so you're just going back louise crawford hill was known as a social socialite
1: oh i thought (laughs) you were gonna say sociopath
0: no Louise Crawford Hill was a known socialite in Denver. She would host parties and card games, inviting only a select member of Denver's wealthiest to partake. She also lived in the Brown Palace for the last 15 years or so, until she died in 1955. Her suite was room 904, and it would seem that she never left after all. There was a period of renovation happening at the palace, especially in room 904, And it had been stripped bare of its wallpaper, furniture, lights, and telephone. So they're doing, you know, and you know, ghosts don't like that. Yeah. So, how very interesting that the hotel switchboard operator began to receive phone calls from 904. Every time she picked it up, she would only hear static. I hate that sound. She's like, stop. Stop messing with my my stuff. Okay? Like, she's not having it. So... The last little bit is the hotel's dining room, once called the San Marco Room, would have flashy big brass bands to perform for guests as they ate. One of the more well-known bands were the San Marco Strings. One night, an employee heard music coming from the dining room. He rushed down to see a band of four men playing away. The employee informed them that they weren't supposed to be in the dining room at this hour. One of the men replied, don't worry about us, we live here. So y'all talking back now okay Mm -mm. tons of reports have mentioned the apparition of a waiter by the service elevator the ghost of children running around the hallways and the most disturbing and perplexing spirit of them all the sound of a baby crying in the boiler room oh yeah so i don't know what that's about but those are my denver hauntings
1: denver denver haunted denver
0: this brown palace sounds cool though yeah it does i kind of want to go
1: kind of want to go kind of want to go.
0: <laughs> yes. So, that is all that I've got for now for that. So, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, go to, and email us at a million murders at gmail.com.
1: Jump on over to our Instagram, a million murders, and see the pictures of people, the places... And you can go to our Facebook page, start a conversation, give uh, feedback, and you can, if you don't have an email or you'd rather not email and just be easier to do that, you can give us suggestions on that on our Facebook page, mm-hmm. A Million Murders. Mhm. Yes. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you come back for a, a million, million more. Bye. Bye.